Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Welcome everyone to the podcast episode today. I am here with David Trotter and David is a business growth consultant who's dedicated to helping new business owners rise above their biggest barriers to reach their greatest goals. David's the host of the Inspiration Rising podcast with over 190 episodes featuring female entrepreneurs and leaders sharing their experience and wisdom. And his latest book is entitled Empower to Rise, The Secret to Embracing Your True identity, uncovering your superpowers, and bringing your inspiration to the world. Previously, David was a pastor, starting fast-growing churches for over 10 years, owned a six-figure marketing boutique for 12 years, produced and directed four award-winning feature films on social justice issues, and has written a dozen books. David and his wife, Laura, have been married for over 26 years and they live in Southern California with their two almost grown kids who are both in college. Welcome, David. Hi, Kate. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. What a life you have had. How on earth have you fit all of that in? (laughs) You know, I just turned 48, so I got 52 years left, 52 (laughs) years left. So I'm not halfway done. My grandmother's 99 and we're looking forward to celebrating her 100th birthday this year. So that's great. You've got good genes for it then. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I want to go to 100, but let's see how life pans out. (laughs) So David, um, tell me, what is it that lights you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Well, in this season of my life, um, it really is working with people and helping them start and grow businesses. And I've kind of found my way into helping primarily female entrepreneurs. And I love coming alongside people because they have a vision themselves. They have something, they have a hope, they have a dream, they have something, either a product or service that they want to offer. And so helping them be able to clarify that vision and then find, you know, step-by-step approach to be able to get that out to other people and develop their own following, their own community. I love it. I love helping people clarify whatever it is in their head. They're going, I got this idea, but how do I do it? That's super fun for me. Oh, and seeing the lights go on for people and everything falling into place. I'm with you. I love that. Love that feeling and that sense of, you know, you've guided someone even just on the next step of their journey. That's right. That's right. Um, So tell us a bit about your journey, which has clearly been a very full one up until launching Rise Up Creatives and your podcast. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I was a pastor for um, over 10 years. Um, I went to college and seminary to become a pastor. I spent three years in corporate America and then um, started uh, starting churches. In the church world, there's this thing called church planting, where you start with a few people and you create a whole community and a church out of that, um, attracting more and more people. And it's a very entrepreneurial process. Most people don't think of church as entrepreneurial, but it can be. And it's it's a lot of different moving components from communications to marketing to you know speaking to HR to staffing to facilities, all of it. Um, so I got a lot of experience in that. Unfortunately, Kate, I was a workaholic. And so I burned out about 12, 13 years ago, hit rock bottom and kind of had to re-engineer my life and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So because I had done a lot with communications and marketing in the church world, I started a marketing boutique um, just working with small businesses, helping them think through their brand, their website, their videography, photography, all of that sort of stuff. Um, But I wanted to continue to make a difference in the world on kind of more social issues. 
So I fell into filmmaking because I had a passion for orphans in India. I had done about eight trips to India at that point, doing humanitarian work with teams. And a buddy and I really wanted to draw attention to the issue of orphans in India. UNICEF indicates there's 31 million orphans in the nation of India. So we grabbed a cinematographer, raised a few bucks, and we produced a documentary about 25 orphans living alongside a railway in Southern India. Just hung out with them for a couple of weeks, filmed their lives, spent a night with them on the streets. And that film got picked up for distribution. And then it was on Netflix for two years from 2012 to 2014. And I thought, well, that was easy. Let's do this again. And uh, it wasn't so easy the second time, but I ended up um, producing and directing a film on sex trafficking in the United States. And I featured six female abolitionists who became the aware of the issue of trafficking. And then they opened up aftercare homes for survivors in different cities around the United States. And that film did very well um, in grassroots screenings around the US and impacted a lot of lives. I did two other films after that, really enjoyed it. But toward the end of 2018, I told my wife, I would like to be making a difference on more of a day-to-day basis rather than a year-to-year basis because these films take so long to produce and bring to market. And so we talked about me moving more toward business consulting and coaching because people were asking me questions all the time, or I would be somewhere and within five or 10 minutes, I'd have kind of pulled to the surface from someone's heart, what they really wanted to do in life. And I just, you know, had a knack for it and really enjoyed it. Of course, podcasting had a thought of that. And so I started Inspiration Rising early 2019. Um, And before starting it, one of the questions that naturally comes up is, well, who is it for? And so my wife and I processed that and looked back over the 25 years of ministry and movies and marketing and the group of people that I seem to resonate with the most and have the most success with tended to be women, kind of the 30 to 50, 30 to 60 age group. And so that's why I started Inspiration Rising, focused on female entrepreneurs and leaders. And that's frankly, probably limited my growth a little bit because it's like, what is this guy doing? You know? But I'm okay with that because I just, I'm passionate about it. I love working with women. I feel like I'm at my highest self when I'm working with women and um, it's just super fun. Yeah. So it's the highlights. What a journey and how amazing that you've had the opportunity to give voice to, to people who, who often don't have any voice. Yeah. And that's what I loved about filmmaking. It's also what I love about writing. I'm, I don't feel like I'm this writer that has to write every day, or I'm not a filmmaker that has to make a film. I love just using different mediums in order to help people or help get a message, you know, out. So I'm not the guy who's going to be, you know, breaking down films left and right and trying to figure out the nuances. It's not me. You know, I just go, well, film is just a great way to tell a story. And so if I can utilize that medium to help people, then that's, that's a good medium. I was going to say that whether it's giving people a voice or marketing, it's all about storytelling, right? And helping, helping people. And I imagine that's a lot of the work that you do is helping women find their own story and to, and to share that in through whatever their work looks like. Yes. And clarify, clarify, kind of get clear on what is that thing? Cause so many of us can do a lot of different things, right? I've had d- different experiences. I'm sure you have where, you know, you go a lot of different directions with what you do, but like, how do you clarify that sweet spot of what you really enjoy and who you really like working with? Um, those lights start to go on. Just today I was with a one-on-one client and um, she's been sober for 40 years. And 
she uh, previously we were working on what some people call an I help statement. I call it a standout statement in our program. Uh, who does she help? You know, and she said she's a, a no BS trusted holistic healer. First of all, that's what we call her. No BS trusted holistic healer. This chick's badass. She's, and she says, you know, I help um, accomplished sober women. Previously till this week, it was just accomplished women because she's worked with a lot of celebrities that you would know by name. And she works with people that are, you know, high net worth. Um, but so we want to call those individuals accomplished, but she's like, yeah, I really want to niche it down even more that they're sober. And so when, when we had that conversation today, you just see her heart just light up, just so passionate about it, you know, and when, when you can help somebody get clear like that, um, it's just super fun. That's fascinating that you talk about that. I wouldn't have said that I was an alcoholic, but I certainly enjoyed my wine at the end of the day. And I stopped drinking two years ago and it literally changed everything for me. So really, really? tell me, tell me why, or tell me how it changed everything. Yeah. So sleep, I have to say, it was the first, the biggest thing, you know, I was in that cycle of you'd have coffee in the morning to make yourself feel awake. And, and then yeah. if you had it too late, then the red wine at night helped you fall asleep. But then I was in this cycle of waking up at three o'clock in the morning when the sugar dump happens and the brain switching on and just not sleeping. And now to actually sleep through and get deep, good quality sleep, it literally changes everything. And yeah. just by stopping wine, I lost 10 kilos, had a much longer fuse with my children. And I think for me, I realized that um, a lot of the things that I thought wine at the end of the day was fixing, it was sure. actually causing. So it made me more stressed. It didn't help with my sleep. It didn't help me feel motivated and, you know, have the energy to, to do my day. So yes, yeah. a bit of a side, a bit of a side story, but it, it was a, a massive game changer for me. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, I've seen multiple books come out about sobriety that are kind of more pop culture type books because people are finding that alcohol is so pervasive in our world as a, it's a coping mechanism. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I know we can say, yes, you love the taste. I would not deny that, but I don't drink alcohol either. Um, and it's not for any particular, it's not for religious reasons or whatever. I just found for me personally, that the downsides were so much greater than the upsides. Um, and for me, the downsides weren't sleep. It was more like, I don't want to get a DUI because I've got family members who have had those mm. or because that can just wreck somebody's life. I mean, mm. big time, especially if you happen to hurt somebody in the process. Um, but, you know, I, hey, no judgment. People like alcohol. But for me, I've just found it's not helpful. I will tell you. It's now, so socially crazy. acceptable, isn't it? And it's... it's it is yeah. a socially assumed, not yeah. acceptable. It's yeah. assumed. Yeah, yeah. So um, I started a health program a year ago called 75 Hard. I don't know. If, have you ever heard of this program? No, I haven't. Okay. It started by a guy here in the U.S. named um, uh, Andy. Oh, I've forgotten his last name. But um, uh, basically, it's 75 days where you do several different things every single day. One of the things is that you choose a way of eating and you choose it, whatever's a little you know, healthier than what you have, but you have to stick to that all 75 days, no cheat meals. Exercise twice a day for 45 minutes each time. Your choice and one has to be outside, one exercise, one set of exercise has to be outside. For me, I do two 45 minute very brisk walks 
one in the morning and one in the evening. Then you have to do, um, you get to do, uh, read 10 uh, pages of nonfiction a day in an actual book. Take one um, uh, photo of yourself, kind of an upper body, like progress picture, and then no alcohol for the 75 days. So I did that last year with my wife and we completed the 75 days. But since we don't really drink alcohol, I was addicted to Diet Dr. Pepper. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a soda. I do. <laughs> okay. I'll we don't have that. Dr. Pepper here, but I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I said, well, I'm going to stop that because I drink a lot of it a lot. And um, I haven't had one since May of last year, a year. Yeah. And yeah. people say, well, do you feel better? No, I don't. I don't feel any different. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I drink a ton of water now. Oh, one of the other things you're supposed to do is drink a gallon of water every yeah, day. Right. It's 75 days. So we are way off track, but um, they're, they're choices of health and health impact business. I mean, I really do. And what a great framework for 75 days because I decided to stop alcohol for 30 days and I felt so great for it that I just kept going. And I'm not sure that I'll never drink again, um, but it'll take something really big for me to, you know, break that. And anytime I think about it, I'm like, yeah, is this the moment that I'm going to start drinking wine again? No. Nope. <laughs> so, is yes, and a, a lot of the traditional... A lot of the traditional things like Alcoholics Anonymous and, you know, none of that resonated with me. It just wasn't, I didn't feel like it was an addiction that I really needed to do something about. It was just a lifestyle choice and I chose differently. And that's, you know, isn't that the great thing about, and this framework that you've just talked about sounds similar, that it just gives you a way to make a different choice. Absolutely. And really what it is more than a physical challenge, it's a mental challenge because, um, I mean, I would say, I, I, I guess I shouldn't even say with alcohol, but I could say with Diet Dr. Pepper, I craved it. You know, I craved it because I was drinking so much every day that I did crave it. But at some point it became a mental choice less than, you know, just a physical, you know, like craving um, to go, all right, I'm going to replace that with something else and choice. Yeah, mine part. became a bit of a game with myself. So <laughs> it's like good. Like how many it's days you could go or what? Oh, I have an app on my phone that tells me how many days it's been. And so I kind of go, oh, look, you know, it's been that long. Isn't that amazing? And go you. Because wine had literally, when I really thought about it, had just always been a part of my life, whether you were celebrating, commiserating, it was five o'clock, you know, on a weekend barbecue, it's 12 o'clock, it's 12 o'clock somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so it never really dictated my life, but it was just such a, a a part of it. And the irony was just to really go off track that my ex-husband was a non-drinker and I drank through our marriage, but then I've stopped since that's over. So that irony does not escape me. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, I'm so, going to hold back on, I'm going to hold back on my follow-up questions. Yes. <laughs> this will turn into your podcast interview. <laughs> So tell me, David, um, what's your vision and what impact does your work have on the world? Well, uh, I think more than anything, I'm trying to help people save time and stand out, right? Because they're wanting to bring their message to the world, whether it's a product or a service or something that they're wanting to offer. And so with so much noise, how can I help them stand out? Which means getting clear about their uh 
ideal client, getting clear about their message, getting clear about their offer, and then creating content that actually captures people's attention, both visually and in terms of text. Um, and in the process, can I help them save time through developing systems? And so I do that through our Rise Up Business Academy, but also the reason why I started this company called Rise Up Creatives is because as I was coaching people, one of the biggest challenges in starting a business was social media. Ah, I just don't like, ah, and especially if they haven't picked up on it in the last 10 years when it's really skyrocketed. And a lot of my clients are women who go, I've been focused on my kids. Like I'm not trying to build a brand or be an influencer, or maybe I post some pictures of my kids, but the whole, this whole thought of leveraging social media to create something for a lot of them feels um, unusual or awkward. And so it feels overwhelming. It feels time consuming. It feels um, stressful. And so we've tried to create something that's a monthly membership that allows them to have some tools in place that either they can use the tools or be inspired by the tools. And so that's the goal, stand out and save time. Sounds like we have a very similar um, similar audience. Uh, you know, I certainly work with mostly women over 40 for whom, you know, digital natives have kind of got this because they've grown up with it, but it does take a really different way of thinking to promote ourselves and stand up and to shine and tell our story. Um, so it's wonderful. It sounds like we work in some very, very similar ways. Um, oh, yes. I was just, I was literally just got off a call right before we jumped on <clears throat> with a woman who's, um, tomorrow posting her third Instagram photo <laughs> right? and she's like, does it have to be a picture of me? Does it have to be a picture of me? I go, well, it doesn't have to. But I just am going to tell you, you're going to get more attention if it is a picture of you. And uh, she's like, okay, you know. So well, and I think it's one of the things that if they, if you can change your mindset around it, you know, people are there to connect with human beings. And so the more authentic and real and the more you're willing to put yourself out there, then people can really, um, you know, can identify with and resonate and see themselves in that as well. What I tell them is, um, when we create a LinkedIn account or whenever we, we submit a photo of ourselves, we don't submit a photo of our hands. We don't submit a photo of our feet. We submit a photo of our face because people <laughs> want to connect with your face. And so there's a reason why we want to post your face is because people will connect with you that way. And, and ideally yeah. looking at the camera, not gazing wistfully off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, David, tell me how you use um, social media and technology in your business to kind of build community and tribe, and then maybe a bit how you do that with your clients as well. Yeah. So, um, a lot of the people that I connect with are on Facebook because they're a little bit, you know, skew a little bit older. So, Facebook groups are a great way for them to connect with one another, um, engage with, you know, content and material. And I have found that to be super helpful. Um, I am personally just, uh, maybe I'm a late adopter here, but diving into reels and, you know. They haven't been around that long. <laughs> yeah, they haven't been around that long, but um, I am trying to kind of express concepts and ideas um, that way. I will also say that I have dabbled in Clubhouse, but I have found that it's not a good fit for me. But a new app that's just come out that I am in love with is called Hi-Ho. 
Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with it. Gary Vaynerchuk just kind of promoted it. And I, I think it's only been out for maybe a couple months, but it is a face-to-face video app. So like if I leave a question for you, I can have, I think up to five minutes that I can talk and then you hit reply and I can determine how long the reply is anywhere from, you know, 30 seconds to five minutes. And then everybody can reply to that question that I pose or that comment that I pose. And you're looking face to face with the person. It stays on the app. It doesn't go somewhere. And you're able to have real face-to-face conversations and talking about business or, you know, whatever you would want. Um, So I've just started using this and I find it, I mean, I would highly recommend you check it out. It's amazing. It's really personal. Because we Um, all need a new platform, like a hole in the head. (laughs) I I know, but I'm telling you, this thing is amazing. Yeah, it is really, it is really fun because I go on these walks, as I mentioned. And so I literally can answer people's questions or pose a question while I'm walking. And I can talk to people all around the globe, just like I am with you. Um, yeah, wow. so, and it feels, it feels real where so many other things can feel like people end up becoming numbers. Like how many likes, how many shares, how many follows, you know, all of this stuff versus this feels like real connection. And that's why people love clubhouse is because it feels like real connection. And it is, this is just more of a, uh, you know, back and forth. Um, so clubhouse lost me as an Android user and I had to download it on my daughter's iPad and borrow that when I wanted to get on clubhouse. So I of course checked out clubhouse and, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in a room where Mark Zuckerberg drops in to say hi, fantastic. <laughs> but finding those places was, um, and now of course, every platform's launching audio rooms like clubhouse. So I I think actually I'd I'd be interested in your view on that because it's a fascinating time that all of the platforms just go and do what all of the others, particularly the big ones. And I wonder how some of these smaller niche communities, you know, I mean, I hear about 10 new ones a day and um, it's interesting to see the ones that stick around and the ones that get traction. Um, And how do you decide what to try out or what to stick around on? Well, I don't usually check out, I mean, I might dabble in it for like five minutes and go, okay, this is not going to last very long. Um, And I'm not interested in it. Uh, I do think that the platforms that get people that have a major influential voice and they promote it like a Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's not even somebody that I personally resonate with. Like I don't follow him. He's not my style. Um, But when he says something though, people will then go to that app and check it out. So then I go, that app probably has more of a chance of sticking around because it's got somebody's voice like him behind it. Now, other people have gotten behind Clubhouse, but the challenge is for a business owner, it can just be a massive time suck. I I did two events right when it first came out and I spent three hours each on both events. And I was basically just coaching people on both of those three hour segments. I had a lot of fun, but I'm going this is not sustainable. And it's not one to, I mean, it's one to 50, one to a hundred, but I can't repurpose this, at least not legally. So that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. It just becomes what I will say though, that I have encouraged my clients to use it for is for consumer research. 
Because you could, if there is a room where your client or your ideal client is and they're hanging out, you can hear unadulterated conversation about things that you would just never, ever hear. And so I do think it's a, a powerful tool for consumer research. You could get in there and pose a question, but I think just listening is probably good enough. Um, so I encourage people to stick with where is, your, where is your ideal client, right? That's the absolute question. Where is your ideal client? Stick there. If you want to have fun dabbling in other things, you know, do it to have fun. Hi-ho, I'm telling you, Kate, I'm telling you. Yep, <laughs> now, but, but, but I will also tell you, it's only for iPhone right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. I'm thrilled to hear that. <laughs> As a single mom with a company page. and two kids, I don't need another app right now. <laughs> yeah, but you need an iPhone. Come on now. <laughs> I used to, I was a very, very loyal Mac user and an iOS user and they did something a while back that really upset me and I jumped ship. So anyway, conversation for another day. <laughs> I need both, I think, because, yes, anyway, pros and cons to both. I heard about an app the other day that was only launching on Android first. I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> Pick it to them. <laughs> so, David, how many TikTok dance videos have you done? Only a few, only a few. <laughs> but I have done probably four or five reels in the last week. And, um, yeah, and one of the reels, which I would encourage people to go find, is a tour of my office. So I'm in my home office right now. I've worked from home 12 plus years. Um, and we live in a million dollar house. The house is worth a million dollars. I don't own it. I rent it. I'm in Orange County, California. It's very expensive. And um, so I say that, like I you know, do this image of this picture because people are like, well, first of all, they'll ask, is that a, is that a Zoom background? And I'm like, no, it's a real couch. Like it's real. <laughs> And uh, you need to go and jump on it just to prove that it's a. <laughs> I did on a Zoom, like I laid down and I'm like, see here. Um, but then what I do in the reel is I turn around and I show where I am. And when I'm, I'm in my garage because we live, oh, wow. our, our million dollar home is 1,080 square feet, which I don't know if you guys use square feet. Did you use square feet there? No, you use something else. A thousand square feet is not much, it's a very small home. And um, it's a 1950s house. And so literally to my right is all of my clothes on a clothes rack because we don't have closets in this small house. All of my shoes are over here. Washer and dryer is over here. And look at me. I look like I'm in this amazing office. So you can do reels that are fun to help people see, you know, it's good. And again, I think it comes back to that point of real and authentic. Like people, you know, you can look at some of the, the biggest influencers, Gary Vaynerchuk and Jeff Walker, and, you know, all the big marketing people, and they share their multi-billion dollar homes. Um, but it, it can be hard as a small business owner or someone who's just starting out to kind of see yourself there. So I think uh, those in the middle that can, those of us in the middle, I'm in the same place, that can, you know, show the stepping stones along the way and have that be real and authentic is, it's a gift to people. Yeah, and, and it is it is, it is a lot of work. Like, I mean, you've been doing what you're doing for 12 years. I have, I'm in my space for only a couple of years, right? Cause I've had a couple of like pivots along the way. So I had a gal on a group coaching session last night. Her name is Jesse Harris Bouton. She's kind of has this uh, brand called the millionaire mompreneur. She has a six figure and a seven figure business. And she's been doing it for, I think eight years. And I asked her last night in the group call at, 
how long did it take you before you felt like you had your feet underneath you? And she goes, Oh, I don't even feel that now. And I go, okay, okay, okay. But we all see your success. How long before you were actually making consistent money? And she said it was three years, three years. And a lot of the women that I interview on the podcast, I look at them and they've been doing whatever they're doing for five to seven years. And they're now at a successful place. So the clients that I work with, I go, you guys, I just want you to know, I want you to be reminded that this is a long-term gig. This is not a quick, like crypto, you know, explosion. Like you've got to be doing this because you really love the people that you work with or the product or service that you offer. You have to love it. Otherwise you'll quit. And I think it's such an important point because social media makes so many look like an overnight success. And that's why I love doing a podcast where you get to break down people's journey and hear about how they got to where they are because it's very rarely the overnight success that it might look like on Instagram or TikTok or wherever it is they're hanging out. Um, so it's, yes, again, just being real and authentic and letting people know know what that looks like. And I think one of the things, particularly for female entrepreneurs and at this time in the world, is that there's very little delineation, I guess, between life, work, entrepreneurship. Like there's so much overlap. I know for me, you know, people talk about working nine to five and I go, yep, I'm unemployable. I couldn't do that again. Um, but I work in all sorts of other ways and it just, it just, it's lifestyle, <laughs> the two mixed together. So it's very hard often for me to identify the difference between what's work and life. Um, and I think there are pros and cons to that, but so long as you've got your self-care in place, um, that, that is what works for a lot of entrepreneurs is blurring of that boundaries between work and life. Yeah. Yep. I, and I would say I used to be a workaholic. Um, because I was trying to fill a hole of not enoughness inside me, of not feeling enough. And if I could, if I could grow this church bigger and help more people and get that book deal, then I'll finally feel enough. The shift that I made 12 years ago through burnout was a shift from performance to peace and service. So that if I'm coming from a place of service and looking to cultivate peace, that's a very different motivation. So then when I am working on a Saturday morning and Sunday morning, because I enjoy it and because I kind of go, what else am I going to be doing? My kids don't need me necessarily. We'll do stuff later in the day, but it's not flowing from a thing of not enoughness or trying to perform at a certain level. It's really flowing from, I really enjoy what I do. I want to serve people through this time of creating this thing or preparing this for them. And I'm at peace. I'm okay. I'm not gasping and grasping. So I'm not grasping. And then, you know, like I'm trying to grasp for something either for money or for more clients or whatever it is that gasping and grasping is where um, you're just mind, body, and soul start to just get depleted so quickly. And I don't want to be back where I was. I don't want that anymore. You know, I want to be in more of that place of, I say four words every day over and over. Peace, play, serve, flow. Peace, play, serve, flow. I want peace in my life. 
So if I don't want to take on client or a contract or a situation or a working environment that does not cultivate peace, I need to learn to play because I can be playful, but I'm very intense. So I kind of forget to play. So how can I even see anything that we're doing like this right here with you is playful. We're just playing. We're just having fun, but we're also serving, right? I feel like I'm serving you. You're serving me. We're serving people that are listening. And if I can be in that place of peace, play, serve, I'll be in a place of flow where I'm in the flow of life. And hopefully then I'm assuming that because of what I'm investing in others, I'm going to be in the flow of financial resources as well. So peace, play, serve, flow. It's not real fancy. It doesn't have some rhyme to it, but it's what I keep saying in my head because it reminds me of what I need to be focused on the values. And that keeps me from when those moments, when I do get stressed, because I go, man, why does that reel only have a thousand views? What the heck? This is lame, you know, or oh, that client didn't follow through like they said, or, you know, X, Y, Z. There's a million things to stress about. I love stressing about stuff. Peace, play, serve, flow. Peace, play, serve, flow. I love that because I was going to ask you, how did you move from that place of burnout to being focused on peace? And were there some tangible things that you actually did to make that shift? Because I think it's it's critical for long-term success is to make that shift. And, you know, I've had a similar story around burnout and being a workaholic and I do far less now than I ever used to, but I have far more flow in my life. Um, And so I think, you know, it's a key, it's almost a key rite of passage in the entrepreneurial journey is to make that shift. And for some, it happens earlier, for some, it happens later, for some, maybe it doesn't happen, but what were some of the tangible things that helped you to make that shift? Well, um, I, I'll tell you what the result of my burnout was. Um, I actually, uh, had a relationship with one of my wife's friends and that did not go over well as a pastor or, as a married, you know, husband. Um, so I ended up, um, resigning from the church and this gal ended up leaving me and going back to her family and I had given up everything. And the reason why I did this was because that's the sense of trying to fill up that hole of not enoughness was not working. And so I wanted to look someone else in the eye and have them tell me that I was enough not that she was telling me that verbally, but by just wanting to be with me, she's telling me that, right? You're amazing. I want to be with you. It's like, okay, somebody's finally believing in me and saying that I'm enough. Meanwhile, my wife's telling me that, but I just don't believe her, right? So um, I ended up checking myself in a mental hospital after all that went down because I was such a disaster. I could not function. One minute I would be coherent. The next minute I'd be curled up on the ball in the kitchen floor, you know, cause I lost everything, you know, my entire career I was very successful. Uh, my kids now are going, they were six and nine at the time. Like what the heck happened to dad? Um, all my educations now thrown, you know, down the tubes. So I checked myself in a hospital, got my head cleared, wanted to still commit suicide for about two weeks after that. Uh, I mean, I just really wanted to end my life. The only thing that prevented me was I didn't want my kids to have a legacy of suicide. I didn't want them to look, grow up having that. And so um, I ended up taking complete responsibility for all my actions with my wife. Didn't ask her to forgive me or take me back, but just said, I want to be a great co-parent. I want to love our kids better than I've ever loved them before. I haven't been present. I've been a workaholic. So I started going, you know, 
I'd already done therapy, but I started going to a lot of therapy. I ended up getting a brain scan through an organization here in the United States called the Amen Clinic, Dr. Daniel Amen. He wrote a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. They um, look at different um, levels, activity levels in your brain. And they have a plus four to negative four system, zero being normative. And so my basal ganglia, which is your fight or flight area, was at a plus four, like off the chart activity. And just like always, you know, either amping up or like wanting to run away. Um, my cingulate was at a plus two, which is kind of your gear shifter ability to focus. I can be a very focused individual. And then my prefrontal cortex was at a negative two, which is kind of your decision-making wisdom. And they go, wow, your, your brain is totally wired for an entrepreneur. Um, but it's also wired to just destroy relationships because you're fight or flight and intense and, you know, have some lack of judgment in that front prefrontal cortex area. So, you know, I didn't choose that wiring of my brain, but it's the wiring that I have the chemical makeup. So I had to take responsibility for that. And, um, I ended up getting on some antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. It reduced that buzz of the basal ganglia and the cingulate and allowed me to just be present rather than having a to-do list always circulating in my head. And that, you know, that circulating caused me to not be able to be present with you and be thinking about all the things that I needed to do. It also prevented me from being present with my kids or my wife. And I funneled that anxiety into work rather than some sort of other deal. So, um, yeah. So I'm still on those meds. And my wife says, yeah, you can never go off those. Um, and, and, and I said wife, because we've now been married almost 27 years, we were able to reconcile through that, through a lot of therapy, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of work. Um, and it's part of the, you know, restoration of not only our marriage, but my own psychological, spiritual restoration and um, me figuring out, you know, my path in life. And so that's why my psychological health and my peace is of the utmost importance for me, because if I'm not in a place of peace, I can't be a great husband. I can't be a great dad. I can't be a great friend. Otherwise then I'm just, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't, I just need to be peaceful, you know, and that takes effort. It sounds weird, but it requires, I guess not effort intentionality. Maybe it's a better word. So, mm, wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, David. I think it's um, not easy things to, to share and it's, but I think a lot of people, you know, resonate with whatever that pivotal turning point is. Most of us have had one or many in life that have set us on a different trajectory. Yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about um, the people that you work with and um, entrepreneurs, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to other change makers or innovators about inspiring others to take action or stepping up and stepping out into the world? What kind of advice do you have to share? Yeah, it can sometimes sound cliche, but I really believe it's my life message, which is you can do it. Like if you have this dream, if you have this desire, there's something inside of you, either you want to start a business or you want to, let's just say you already own a business and you want to start a nonprofit or you want to make a documentary or <laughs> you want to start a community or you want to, I, I don't know what it is. Like 
you have the resources. We have all the tools we need right in front of us. I mean, in the internet age, we have everything we need to create whatever it is. And um, financial resources is not an, that is not an excuse because you have all the resources you need right in your hands to take your first step. You might have your next 10 steps there, but you get the first step that you can take. And that's the, that's the mentality that I have had over my life so far. I want to start a church. I did it. I want to start a business. I did it. I started with my buddies, a, a plush toy manufacturing business in China. Never done it before. We did it. Did a documentary. Had I ever done it before? No, I did it. And it was on Netflix. It got to like, whoa. Um, so a lot of the things that I do, I don't have the education for, I don't have the background for, but I have a heart and a passion for it. And then I go, I can figure it out. And if I can work with other people and I can help them and they can help me. So I would just say, take that first step. Come on, you have one life. Now, a lot of people on my podcast will say we have lots of lives, which is fine, but I can't guarantee that you'll have another chance. You can't guarantee that, right? You might think well, you might have another chance, that. <laughs> but you can't guarantee this might be the only one. So come on now, let's do it. I love that. I love that. And so as we're wrapping up, David, what's one thing that you would like people to do differently? Hmm. Well, I would say I would love for all of us, I'll include me, to listen and give people um, the benefit of the doubt that they have positive intentions. Because I believe that even in, even in the midst of um, poor, unhealthy choices, people have a positive intention behind it. It may be even just survival or it may be trying to make their life better or easier, but most people have positive intentions in the things that they're doing. And even when we take offense, don't understand, if we can stop, listen, seek to understand, I think the world would be a much better place. I know my marriage is a much better place when I stop and listen and seek to understand, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so uh, that's, that's what I would encourage. Here, here. I think we need that more than ever with our world of social media and so quick to judge and have an opinion about how everyone else is living their life. But yes, I completely concur with that. Well, thank you so much, David, for being here today. How do people connect with you? We'll put all of your um, links in the show notes, but what's the one action you'd like people to take so they can connect with you? You know, I would love um, if people are interested, we don't necessarily offer this on our website, but we offer it on podcast is a seven day free trial of Rise Up Creatives. Um, so they can go to riseupcreatives.com slash free trial, riseupcreatives.com slash free trial. And um, they can check it out for seven days. If it's not a good fit, they can cancel. There's no charge at all. Um, but if they like it, um, it's a simple 25 USD per month. Um, and it's a great resource um, for a lot of people. So that's one way they can check it out. Great. Thank you so much for being here, David. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Boy, we took it everywhere, didn't we, Kate? Oh, we did. <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.